Football is around the corner, and we are ramping it up over here on the Ringer NFL feed in the month of August. Every week, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you not one, but two extra point takens. That's right. Double the trouble as we predict, debate, and analyze our way through camp and the preseason every Monday and Friday. But that is not all. Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Wednesday. We'll talk about everything in the world of the NFL. And who knows? Maybe Steven will even have something nice to say about your favorite squad. Though, frankly, I wouldn't count on it. Subscribe to The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow The Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Ringer NFL. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Ringer Wrestling Show, Heels Season 2, Episode 4, Heavy Heads Recap Show. I'm your host, David Shoemaker, here with my tag team partner, Ben Lindbergh, and our ever-ready producer, Jesse Lopez, who, Jesse, are you caught up yet? Have you, are you caught up with the show? Yes, I'm officially caught up. So now okay. I'm at the point where we're all, we've all seen the same thing. If you have anything to say, feel free to butt in, and you'll be the official tiebreaker if there's any <laughs> disputes over things like, what was the mysterious man's name at the end of this episode? We... <laughs> are going off of screeners here so we don't have the luxury of uh, of, of closed captioning. Yes, Je- Jesse can be the Diego yes. of our podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you identifying with Diego? How's he doing as a, a podcast producer? You know what? I think he's doing a great job. The the mic distance may be a little uh, troubling that I saw, but, you know, he, he, it's a first-time producer probably. A lot of the times you have to go through <laughs> trial and error. You learn. So yeah. I have faith in Diego that he'll learn. It's not yeah. an ideal situation when Bill is <laughs> pounding the table, getting up, walking around, trying to mic up a, a dinner where you get yeah, just dinner in general, clinking. having a conversation. That was a strange, com- a strange choice. Like yeah. literally eating and drinking and recording a podcast. There's a lot <laughs> that's, of uh, that's the opportunity they got, and this is our opportunity right <laughs> well, now. So happy to have you with us, Sporto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Sporto. Don't like that, Sporto man. We're really going to call him that, aren't we? Um, <laughs> yeah. So things are happening. Uh, you know, there's we've been through the three episodes this season, and the first episode was a fairly compact and exciting sort of recap of what we've seen before. And the past two episodes, episode two had a lot of action, but still just sort of leading forward with no particular end in sight. As of episode four, we've got uh, we've got a narrative arc. We've got some plot points. We got some stuff to look forward to. Uh, f- first and foremost, at least in the very uh, functional side of things is that the DWL Duffy Wrestling League in Georgia, I mean, sorry, in Florida Wrestling um, Dystopia, Dystopia <laughs> FWD, are indeed going to have an interpromotional card. Gully, the owner of of, uh, of Florida Wrestling Dystopia, has promised that he'll wipe the slate clean. His lawsuit against his, his, his tentative lawsuit suing uh, Jack, which would cause him to wrest control of Duffy's uh, wrestling company. Um, would be out, will go be out the window. All they got to do is just have this one card, so they can, so he can 
cash in on the social media hype that Jack punching him created. It's right. going to happen. And we saw the seeds. Well, we saw the seeds being planted for it in the conversation between Jack and Rooster and Gully. But we saw the the in ring, the performative seeds being planted at the close of the show when Rooster, quote unquote, invaded the DWL show and uh, started the feud in earnest. Well, let's go and get some of this name confusion out of the way. Um, I believe <laughs> because now I'm looking at my notes and it's all so is so. Uh, when Rooster showed up, he had one of the sort of miscellaneous bald men that always accompanies <laughs> right. uh, the FWD crew with him. I believe they called him Hole. Is that correct? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that. I, I have been wondering, though, because we're getting this big buildup to the FWD versus DWL card, and we don't really know any of the FWD wrestlers except Rooster, right? And some guy we've seen in the background, right? So yeah. not a lot of time to, to I think build Hole up the will have a role. here. Yeah, I guess so. So, and we, we, you're right, we don't know them. We know that, I mean, Rooster seemed to imply that he would be wrestling Jack. Maybe that was just, maybe I, I misread that statement. Um, but it does seem feasible that it would be Rooster versus Jack in the main event. But then, of course, Gully's got to get his, get his licks back, right? I mean, he, mm-hmm. part, part of the... What's really at stake here is his is his ego, his pride, and and the money he stands to make. Uh, yeah. But he's his 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 crowd chants, uh, "Gully is God," and he got punched in the face by Jack and and came out looking like less than God. So that's that's what his stake is. He's got, he's got to come out looking good. So they got to figure out a way, basically, to make everybody look good. And if you know anything about the real world of pro wrestling, um, the negotiations uh, on these sorts of shows end up skewing towards mediocrity for that very reason, right? In terms mm-hmm. of, let's say, narrative mediocrity, we're always excited to see the, you know, I always think of it as like, you know, your Star Wars toys and your G.I. Joe toys playing together or whatever. Like, that's exciting in principle. Seeing them together is exciting. But, you know, the endings are a little bit hard to tell. Right. Yeah, you can you can hear Jack saying, right, who's going to win? And yeah. then Rooster's like, well, well, we'll work out something that that works out for everyone, but something that works out for everyone might not be that entertaining for the fans, right? So they're a little bit out on a limb here, right? You agree to it without all everything pinned down, and then, you know, we'll see how it goes. I do think it's a little bit weird on Gully's part, though, to sort of leave the whole creative control decision in the hands of Jack and Rooster when Rooster is, you know only recently under the employ of FWD and could conceivably be a double agent or something or just might be still under Jack's spell. It doesn't matter. We'll get there in future episodes, I'm sure. Right, yeah. I mean, is Jack trying to turn him back to his side by actually giving him a good promo here at the end of the episode? We can talk about that. But but I do wonder about that because they're talking about how Jack wants wrestling to be Faulkner, right? And mm-hmm. Gully doesn't think it is. And so I guess in that sense, it makes sense that he's leaving the creative in Jack's hand because he's the one who cares about creative, except that it seems like Gully, I mean, I'm sure that he'll have a final approval over the script, right, about how it goes. But I do wonder, he says he needs to turn that punch from a shoot into a work, right, and restore his reputation. Do you think that he will be content leaving this as a one-time thing? Because there have been times in the past where it seemed like he would have been very happy to put Jack out of business, right? That's what he wanted to do in season one. Mm -hmm. The DWL is his competition. He wants to run it into the ground even more so after Jack shows up on his turf and punches him and his whole roster is chasing them, ready to beat them down, right? So. Do you think that one single card and cash in is actually his goal here? 
Or is that just trying to lure Jack into something longer term? Or will he then turn around and and throw the lawsuit at him even so once he gets what he wants out of him? Do you think he has ulterior motives here? Yeah, I thought it was, it's a good question. And I thought it was particularly conspicuous that at no point did Gully say, I'll put it in writing during his very kind of easygoing conversation with Jack, you know, and just, well, let's do this card, bygones, bygones, the lawsuit goes away. This is a very carefully written show. And that, and if it weren't, I wouldn't have done, that probably wouldn't have lingered in my head as much, but it did. Yeah, right. And one other thing about that conversation, this is, I guess the sort of the second episode where Jack tries to make a, a big heartfelt apology, right? At Stacy's mm-hmm. urging, Stacy urges him to finally bury the hatchet with Ace and come clean about everything. And so they do, and it doesn't immediately pay off in that situation. But then Jack, Ace has a, a bad dream after their conversation, and then they're more or less reconciled. Although, again, we'll see how long that lasts. As Ace says in this episode, you'd still be you, I'd still be me, right? But we'll talk about his yeah. comeback in a moment. But this time, Stacy gives him that advice, right? Just go man to man, just say you're sorry to Gully. And Jack says, yeah, sure, of course, I needed you to tell me that. It didn't occur to me. He doesn't seem like the type who would just say, let bygones be bygones. And in fact, he does not. Jack tries it. Gully does not accept that, right? So this time, it does not work. Just the apology does not uh, kind of give him a, a get out of the doghouse free card. Yeah, I mean, it's it's worth noting that it does seem to be like physically difficult for Jack to say the words, I'm sorry. Yes. Which cuts a little bit against what Gully responded with. But Gully's response, I thought, was pretty perfect, which was just like, you saying those words doesn't mean shit. <laughs> I mean, right, yeah. Just right. because you said it, it doesn't mean, doesn't make it, doesn't change wh- the way things were one second before. Yeah, this this whole season has sort of been the Jack Spade apology tour, right? Just going yeah. from one person in his life, he's wronged trying to make amends, whether it's Stacy or Ace, sort of his his actual family, and then the work associations with Gully and then Rooster, maybe he's not actually apologizing here, but he is making an apology of sorts by the end of the episode by basically saying, I'm going to write you something good, which I didn't write you when you were on my roster, right? And you're going to kill it and deliver it like you always knew you could. And I didn't see it or I was just prioritizing myself and my family over you. Yeah, that's one of the really interesting subplots. I mean, it was it was there for us to, for you to see in this episode but i think that that i mean everything in the show is a meta narrative and in some sense it's a some ways it's a meta meta narrative right because we got the the ring and the real life and then the fact that this is all a show to begin with but yeah i mean it's a very interesting commentary on the way shows like this exist right i mean there this this the 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 third tier i mean we we tiered the characters to start the show i mean to start mm-hmm. this podcast the tiers are not always very fungible uh, on shows like this, especially when you need a cast of characters. When it's a football show, you you know, you have your main characters, but there's got to be, you know, the right number of players on the field and in every huddle, and most of those people are never going to get a speaking part, right? So mm-hmm. Rooster's sort of forcing his way into the main event uh, is, is interesting. And you're right, Jack's acquiescence um, is notable, although right. there's been a lot of acquiescence on Jack's part. You mentioned Stacy. She's back. The family's mm-hmm. back together in a rapturous way, judging by the first scene. (laughs) Yes. And uh, not a lot of commentary on bygones or, you know, any particular apology in this one. It was 
He, you know, Stacy said before, he's my man. We just have to find each other again. And I guess I don't know if this counts as finding each other, if there's more conversation to be had. But she obviously served a sort of functional role in this episode, too, going to help out with the beer delivery and giving us the second, I guess, of several clues that something's afoot with Willie. What do you early on the show? Willie sort of stumbles into the, 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 the DWL office and and absconds with some cash. Yeah. What was your reading <laughs> of this whole of her of her arc in this this episode? and? And uh, where do you think it's going? Very cryptic. Yeah, we have a, a masked mystery man at the end of this episode who we actually know the identity of. And then we have this mystery woman who shows up. And it seems like, you know, Willie goes on this bender, right? So we see her sneak into Jack's office, it looks like, and abscond with some DWL funds. And then she goes out, drinks. We see her the next morning. She's lying on the floor of her bedroom where her husband has left her disapprovingly. This guy puts up with a lot, by the way, <laughs> just during the front of the show. What with Wild Bill moving in and, and now this. And it doesn't seem like this is the first time, right? Because he's kind of disapproving. You know, he's like, I'll, I'll tell our daughter you're having a late morning. Doesn't seem like this is the first time he's had to cover for her or that she's shown no. up this way or, or thrown up in the bathroom. So... We know she has an interesting backstory, and I, I hope at some point that we get more of that, that whether it's in flashback form or just exposition, we find out more about how she got where she is. We, we know some things that she's told Crystal or, or Bill over the various episodes, but it seems like this mystery woman who shows up looking for her and seems to be in an official county car. There's an insignia on the side that seems to have the name of the county in Georgia where they are. Mm -hmm. And we see Willie hand her some money, right? And I, I don't know exactly what to make of this, whether the, the bender that she goes on is related to this handoff, this pressure that she's feeling. I, I can only speculate that maybe this is some sort of payoff to a local official. I don't know whether it would have to do with ownership of the dome or a permit for the DWL. I mean, it, it seems like something that Jack's not aware of that she's been hiding, right? And that she's feeling some strain about this woman coming to collect this cash. So something seedy and under the table, some nefarious business dealings going on here. Yeah. I mean, the the, up, the upshot of it is that we'll probably get some more, a couple of good Willie episodes uh, yeah. as this season progresses. Um, and, you know, more of her involvement in the plot. I I don't know. I mean, the way that it, the way that it was presented in this episode almost made me think it's going to be the, it's going to, it's like a, a double reverse. Like, it's just going to come out next episode that she was like buying everybody a big bouquet of flowers or, you know, like, <laughs> like it was one of, one of those things like, honey, what's this uh -huh. charge? I don't know about on the Amex card. And she's yeah. just like, oh, I, I bought you a present, you know, whatever. Right. But like, because it was just so nefarious seeming, you know, yes. it was like it was so it was like the shadows were so dark um, <laughs> that, it, you know, it made me a little bit suspicious. The right. Other big, the, 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 the other plot of the subplot of the show that we haven't talked about, which I think is sort of the the emotional narrative core of the show was Wild Bill and Diego going to this fan convention mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Wild Bill meeting all these wrestling fans and signing autographs, and doing everything, but then linking up with two old time wrestlers, Man Beast and the Texas Slinger, and he interviews them for his podcast, and it ends up going um, terribly, both in terms of content, because um, Man B's post-wrestling life is incredibly pedestrian, <laughs> and in terms of uh, moral reckoning, um, because both of these guys were out of the business. Uh, Slinger, because he, is, he was 
you know, so damaged from his time in the ring that he's not all there, not in whatever way, not a fully functional uh, man. And Man Beast is just sort of retired to a life of uh, frozen yogurt shop management and seems mm-hmm. to be pretty happy with being as far away from the ring as possible. Meanwhile, while Bill is still out there doing it, he wrestled in the match later in the show. This was a tough scene to watch. And while Bill sort of goes in and out of character, trying with all of his might to, I don't know, to rebuke the the charges, sort of, or rebut the charges, or sort of like, uh, or just sort of deny that wrestling has had an overall negative effect on his life, given what he's put put into it. Yeah. Um, what, What was your reading? Yeah, man beast, which seems like an inappropriate thing to call him at this stage of his life where he has shed the man beast persona. But as he says, while Bill has nothing left except the persona, or at least that's what he accuses him of, right? That he just sort of scooped out his actual core self and replaced it with Wild Bill so thoroughly that the original is not really left there. So I think that's what Bill is struggling with. He thinks, hey, we're on a podcast and we're performing for the crowd, right? And then he talked earlier in the episode about how it's not just for his ego at, at these shows, right? And obviously it is, you know, when he says the status of my ego is relevant. Clearly, he has a huge ego and uh, he likes to be flattered by the attention. But also, I think he does have some legitimate feeling of let's give the people what they want here. And Man Beast is just getting real. And Bill is having to confront is this guy with the froyo and the dogs and everything? Is is he having a, a happier life than I am? Right. And so he's just trying to come back he's trying to say are we you know putting on a show here or not and then he tries to bait him into getting mad right which almost works for a second Mm -hmm. and then man beast kind of steps back from from the brink and says i'm not that man beast anymore right but he thinks that it's going to be old times and it's going to be you know we're going to be pounding drinks here and we're going to be reminiscing and he tells diego get this initial interaction for social, right? And they go up yeah. and they have sort of a, a Han Solo Lando greeting slash reunion at Cloud City sort of thing. And seems like hijinks are in <laughs> store. And then, nope, Man Beast has moved on. And suddenly the hijinks seem immature. You know, Man Beast is just like, yeah, you can do that when you're young. And it's really kind of a, a devastating quote that he delivers, right? That kind of ends this dinner. And I wrote it down just because, you know, you you have him say, most of our generation are crippled, broken, or dead. This is Manby speaking. Mm-hmm. One way or another, we were all addicted. The crowd, the adrenaline, standing in the center of that ring. So when I see you still clawing away on that same damn hill, I understand and I cheer for you, but I don't wish I was you. So there's, there's real understanding, but also a real pity. And we sort of see Bill in a new light. I guess we've sort of seen him in a a pitiable, pitiful light all along. But here he's just really laid bare, you know, sort of stripped to the core. Most of our generation are crippled, broken, or dead. One way or another, we were all addicted. The crowd, the adrenaline, standing in the center of that ring. So when I see you still clawing away on that same damn hill, I understand. And I cheer for you, but I don't wish I was you. Yeah, it was one of the most honest, heartbreaking. Um, I mean, I, what other words to describe it? One of the great monologues of the show. And yeah. um, watching Bill sort of react to it 
like a child almost and with defiance, you know, uh, and not knowing what to do with himself. That it was, it was kind of, it was hard to watch. And it's, you know, yeah. it's, if you know wrestling, you know that that's all true. I thought the maybe the most, and you, and you got at this, the most difficult part of it all was man beasts. And it is funny to call him that, but man beasts <laughs> kind of willingness to let, to let Bill win. To let, or let Bill sort of have his his minor victory, you know. Yeah, that's all like he has, right? He, he's being he's being very truthful when he's like, "Hey, I root for you, but I don't want to be you." So when Bill like kind of turns up the heat and tries to get him to get into character or start a fight or whatever, he's just like, "You know what, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good." But yeah, congratulations. You know, <laughs> and it's I mean, it's it's tough. Since we let Man Beast have his say, let's let's tee up Bill's response because uh, I thought that was really poignant too. It's easy to get off the horse. Anyone can get off the horse. <laughs> I ain't getting off a damn horse. So should I get these in a go cup? Or... Everything in life is a choice. Glossing your teeth is a choice, and if my only choice is to turn into. I still ain't getting off the damn horse. So there's sort of a, a sad nobility in Bill, right? I mean, he's physically a wreck. He's sort of spiritually been a wreck. He's he's leaving it all in the ring, right? Which uh -huh. is what he said earlier in the episode. That's how he thinks it's supposed to end for anyone in this profession, right? And maybe it is misguided. Maybe it is sad. Maybe there is some second act out there. Maybe he can settle down with the fair lady. You know, he's, I think, shaken enough by this exchange that he's moving out of the motel and looking for an apartment. So that's something, although he says it's temporary and he's still hoping to to get back to the big show up north, right? Yeah, that part was a little bit, I couldn't tell if that was just a reaction to the conversation he was having to sort of like, you know, rationalize the choices that he's made or if that's still his motivation. I mean, I don't I don't think those things are mutually exclusive and I don't think he becomes an, an, an a less interesting character if he's trying to get out. No. It's probably less yeah. interesting if he's if he is, but... I mean, it's probably more interesting, yeah, if, he, if he's got that layer to him. But I right. have been, sort of been seduced by the new sort of stay-at-home dad version of <laughs> Wild Bill, you know, he's just like back at, in Duffy and, and trying to do right by everybody here. Yeah. By the way, if we want to backtrack for five seconds to the convention, mm -hmm. I think it, it bears mention because leaving it all in the ring, you know, living the life, whatever, uh, living the gimmick, there's a lot of different wrestling turns of phrase for that, but it is appreciated by the fans, right? Like nobody wants to go get an autograph from Wild Bill in a in a polo who's just like, you know, mm -hmm. nodding politely, right? I mean, yeah. you want him in character. And yeah. it, it's this weird sort of bargain that we make with these wrestlers. They're, they're our sort of living gods, right? And, and you don't want them. I mean, Hulk Hogan turned 70 this week, which is <laughs> mind boggling uh, when you, know, you have to confront my own mortality. But also when you look yeah. at the man, I mean, who looks just like a slightly shrunken version of the person we watched on TV in the 80s, right? I mean, you, <laughs> he, he is, he's still the character, Hulk Hogan. You can't imagine that guy getting old. And so that's part of what Bill's facing. You know, I, I find myself watching Bill, especially when he's wrestling, and I wonder at times why they didn't give him a full head of hair. I say this as a bald man. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, it'd be a little bit, it would feel a little, it would have a different vibe to it if he was like, yeah, he's old, he's, old, he's a little bit out of shape but he's still mm -hmm. got like the big, like the, like the youthful locks, you know? And yeah, I think the reason why is because this is the conversation that we're meant to have, right? I mean, that like age and mortality is a real part of pro wrestling and you can go out there and do your dance and, and, you know, wear your tassels, but that doesn't change 
that doesn't change reality. Right. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they'll wear the bandana to try to hide the hairline, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And maybe try to recapture some of the lost youth. Or he says he's still wearing his old pants, right? But Man Beast says, you know, a little bit of a muffin top. <laughs> that, might yeah. be, that might be unkind, but there's, uh, there's some skin poking out there. So he's still trying to squeeze himself into the persona and the outfit, even though he obviously is not the same person, doesn't quite look like the same person. But I think there's a little bit of denial there with the I'm going to get back on top because he's fallen out of favor before and he's worked his way back up. But his most recent transgressions and maybe he's just past his prime at this point and, and is not worth it to the big company. But yeah, speaking to what you said, I, I think there is sort of this this nobility to what he's doing, keeping up this act at some personal cost, because in that montage where he's signing and he's posing it's clearly a symbiotic relationship. He's getting something out of that attention, but everyone else is too. You know, everyone else is thrilled to be in the presence of Wild Bill just for a few moments and he has to play the part. So I think there's something to be said for that too. But this episode really, probably more so than any previous episode, just I think laid bare the the costs, the physical costs, the mental, spiritual costs that these guys go through. And I think that's certainly been shown and it's been hinted at in the past. But in this episode, you not only see the Texas Slinger and you see the the physical toll, the mental toll that it's taken on him. And then you hear just during the podcast dinner, Man Beast is recounting all of these acquaintances who, you know, someone just had a funeral and this guy's got a fused vertebrae and uh, this guy's got back issues right on and on. And then when we see A.J. Mendez, who we should talk about also, right? Making her making her star turn in the show. A.J. Mendez, yeah. the former A.J. Lee of WWE and, and CM Punk's real life wife, uh, made her appearance as El Dorado, um, yes. a female wrestler uh, who's come in to, to be paired up with Crystal. Right. And we see her just getting ready for her match with Crystal and she's popping six ibuprofen just to get in the ring. Crystal's like, yeah, take a couple. You can save a couple for later. She's like, nope, this is all for now. This is what I need. My knee, my shoulder, my back. Right. And this isn't even a really, you know, old over the hill type wrestler. So this is, I think, maybe the starkest portrayal of that. And I think it's important that the show show that and it's honest. Oh, yeah. I wonder how fans of wrestling, fans of the series will react to that. You know, because like you could say that that maybe that's what took a toll on, on Tom Spade. Maybe that's been hinted at in the past, but it's usually portrayed as he was bitter. You know, he he wanted to get out of this town or he wanted to make it big or he wanted the DWL to be bigger than it was. And that's what led him to take his life. But could it be just the number of hits he took over the years, some sort of CTE situation? That's possible that that was contributing too. So, well, that's part of the same. I mean, that's part of the same real life narrative, right? I mean, I, I think that yeah, it would be interesting to see the show take on CTE, especially when it comes to King Spade. I think it would have to, if it would have to be done really carefully, because yeah. because despite the real the realism of that, uh, you know. Plot wise, it would feel it, it could risk feeling like a little bit of a, you know, get out of jail free card or, you know, whatever. But like, right. But watching them deal with it in a real way could be incredibly gratifying on the flip side. I mean, it could it could it could really pan out. I do yeah. think that there's a I do think that you're right. This is the first time the show's really dealt with that, th- these realities that much. And as someone who's written about this stuff for my whole adult life, I 
I do wonder how much of a like a, a drama dramatic show that can really carry. But it is incredibly important just in terms of character development because there's a, there will be a lot of sameness to some of the characters and their experiences. But the the damage that they all suffer is going to be different in subtle ways, mm-hmm. right? And I think that what we really saw this about in this episode start to finish is that it's I mean it's always somewhat about this, but this episode was really about the toll of pro wrestling and the addiction of pro wrestling and the yeah. you know in some in some sense what we do for love, you know, when, when pro wrestling is our love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. And when Bill's saying, you know, a flaming disgrace, the both of them, <laughs> when he's dismissing them, you know, either being incapable of continuing to wrestle or just deciding to move on. And then that invites the question, are they the disgrace or is he or is anyone right? Maybe they're all just trying to find their way through this. But, but I do wonder just because, you know, there's always kind of a, a moral implication or compromise whenever we watch these sports, whether it's wrestling or whether it's football, where you don't want to deny the reality of the toll that it's taking on these players' bodies or these athletes. And and as long as they're informed, if they know the risk they're taking, which sometimes that's not totally the case, too. But, you know, it's it's very, I think, satisfying dramatically to see this depicted. It's also, it's sad. It's depressing, right? It's not uplifting to see these guys just beating themselves up for, for decades and then seeing what the ramifications of that are. So I don't know whether you would know better than I, whether wrestling fans, you know, are eager to reckon with this and would want to see. I mean, it's a really, it's really, like it's a case show, by case right? basis. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. a it's a person by person thing, and 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 for me, it's not. There's not a real consistency to it. I find the wrestler Eddie Guerrero, who died, I mean, it's super. It's incredibly tragic, and 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 I'm not going to be able to go into the whole story here. But he wrestled for a while with the symptoms of what would eventually kill him: his numbness in his in his limbs, a, a bunch of other things. And um, there's definitely times where I can't I can't stomach watching one of his matches, especially in his you know last chapter and then there's times where you watch those matches that especially the truly great ones and you just feel like you're rejoicing in his life and his legacy you know so i mean it's it's Mm -hmm. it's not always so simple yeah this episode is brought to you by ebay motors passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED highlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, It's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
You mentioned Ace. We should go through the Ace narrative really quickly. So he has returned to Duffy. Um, at the beginning of the show, he's sort of a man adrift. He said he just needs a couple more days at his brother's house to figure out what he's going to do. And then he spends the afternoon with his nephew, Thomas, Jack's son. And, uh, and well, one, let's see, the, the, his dad's crown gets destroyed. He, he, prior to that, he runs into Crystal. And then he has a conversation with, with Thomas in the backyard, which leads to them wrestling and, and we leads to Jack, I mean, Ace smiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with real pure, well, the first pure anything we've gotten from him in a long time, uh, but pure joy in this case. And then at the end of the, oh, then he goes to Crystal's house, says, I got a crazy idea. Can you help me? They have a post-romantic shower scene. <laughs> no, no, no actual romance implicit. And, and, uh, and then at the end of the sh- episode, he descends into the ring uh, as a mysterious man in black, like Sting in the old WCW days, and and uh, calls himself the Condemned. Is that yes. what you heard? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I come to you, a damned soul in search of redemption. I will break free. I will not stop until my redemption is obtained. I am the Condemned. And uh, he gets a big, big pop, right? So yeah. we see the, the makeup at the end. And this I is, don't know what I at first I thought that Crystal cut his hair, but I guess maybe she just dyed it black or something. Well, we'll, we'll I guess we'll see that next week. Right. Yeah. I, I assumed that she was cutting it also. But yeah, it's it's kind of a, a tender, you know, it's like the end of the romance, right? This is it. This is maybe our last real physical contact unless we're in the ring. And they are parting on on better terms, you know, when they have the encounter at the convenience store when Ace is with Thomas. I, I thought it was nice, you know, when Ace is talking to Crystal and he says, Jack will take care of you. He knows what he's got. I think implicit there, unspoken is, I didn't know what I had, right? When I had you, yeah. when you wanted me, I didn't realize that. And now it's too late. And I think probably sincerely, he's... Uh, come to terms with her and, and Bobby being together and and maybe thinks that's for the best. And again, it is sort of sad, as he says, he's a good dude. You deserve a good dude, because we know last week when he's talking to Jack, he says, I'm not a good guy. Right. So he has internalized this sense of himself, like maybe he just would not be worth Crystal. She's better off without him. And that really, I guess, gives rise to the character here, the condemned. I mean, that's how he actually feels. <laughs> so this is, he's putting on the mask or the makeup at least, but this is actually a reflection of of his uh, inner self right now. I agree. Well, let's just, and maybe this will be an artful segue that Jack would approve of, and maybe it'll be, it'll fall totally flat in his face, uh, depending on what your selection is. But who do you have as the, uh, as the, as the world champ? for season two, episode four, Heavy Heads. Yeah, I think I got to go with Bill. <laughs> there was just just so much pathos and, and emotion in the Bill subplot here. And there was that that moment where they're just arriving at the convention and Diego says he was watching a master class of some director who was talking about storytelling and said, if you want to convey pain, you got to set it up with want and need. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of pain conveyed in this episode, and they certainly set up the want and need, not just with Bill, but again, I I think just giving us that longer, deeper look at that element of the life that we've only seen in in bits and pieces, he really kind of carried that here. I was torn between Bill and Ace, um, Mm -hmm. and I think I would give it to Bill as well, only because 
you get you you get the feeling that that this that just like the storyline in the ring that this episode was a setup for Ace's real star turn. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, Bill Bill carried the weight of the episode, um, although he shared time in the ring with you know a bunch of other people while doing so. Mm-hmm. But uh, and we didn't really get to see the resolution to that story either, at least in terms of his performance. And I'm sure that will be coming as well. But right. as far as what the real heft of this episode, what this episode was really about, you got to give it to Wild Bill. Jesse, do you agree? I think so. I think Bill kind of took it. And honestly, I might be a little uh, biased because I love conventions. I love going to like any kind of conventions. And I've <laughs> been to a wrestling convention before and it's very similar. Also, kind of backtracking a little bit, I like the juxtaposition of the scene with Bill and the dinner, and it ro- rolls right into, you know, El Dorado talking about taking the ibuprofen and getting the health insurance. I think it mm-hmm. kind of highlights both of those aspects that uh, I'm glad that this show is kind of tackling because it'd be, it wouldn't be right to kind of have a wrestling show and not, like, address the big elephant in the room like that. Yeah, I mean, we and, and El... And even in her brief turn on this show, talked about the health insurance, which was an interesting point. And also just the fact that she's been around the circuit. She's ever been around the horn. You know, she's she's been wrestling for uh, long enough to know that it's it is a, a, an itinerant life, to say the to say the least. Right. Crystal I mean, kind of saw like a foreshadowing of what her career mm-hmm. could potentially be if she continues right. to go. Yeah, I was good. Not for the first time, right? When Eldorado is is talking about, you know, road dogging and she's saying not only is it taking this physical toll on her, but most of these places she's wrestling for only have two or three women. So they run out of stories pretty quick and then she's moving on. So it is a cautionary tale, just like Ricky Rabies's ballet was last mm-hmm. season, right? When they presented it as, oh, we're this uh, one big happy family and you just got to hit your star to the right wrestler. Yep. And then it turns out that they go their separate ways. They're not actually together. And that was kind of a wake up call. And and Willie sometimes has been sort of like, you know, when she said, like, I've I've given my life to this thing or I've lost my life to this thing. These are all I mean, Crystal's the super fan. She's got stars in her eyes. She loves this life, but she does keep hearing from these other older women who've been through it. And they are just a lot of landmines along the way strewn in front of her here. Well, we heard also in the in Wild Bill's conversation that he'd given his life to this sport of pro wrestling. I think he said uh, specifically that he had the balls to give up his life to pro wrestling. Um, and Man Beast yeah. was like, yep, you sure did. And, you know, and just kind of backed out. Uh, I, I bring, I mentioned that just to say, let's talk about the main event. For me, there's only one, and it's that conversation. The, the podcast, such as it was, dinner between uh, Man Beast and, and, uh, and Wild Bill, um, I don't know what else needs to be said about it, unless you have another, unless you had a different main event selection. I might actually. go for it. One I I was debating closely is is when Ace is is just uh you know bouncing around town with Thomas and he encounters Crystal, but but the Ace Thomas relationship is is very pure. Like when we see those guys together, Ace is sort of his calmest, sagest self. And it's heartening to see because you remember, you know, there is kind of a mature man in the immature facade here. And, you know, I think it was kind of crucial. You have initially Ace snaps at Thomas when Thomas dares to to put his hand on on King Spade's crown mm-hmm. right in the back seat, And then later in the episode, Thomas destroys the thing somehow, drops it and a car drags it out into traffic and it's just in tatters. 
And you think that Ace is going to snap, right? Because he snaps at the slightest provocation. And yet he doesn't, you know, maybe he thinks about it. Maybe it crosses his mind. He's sort of stricken maybe when he sees it out there in the street. But ultimately, he gathers himself and he swallows it and he says, it's all right, buddy. It's just a prop. No one will even miss it. I used to think it looked important, but your dad, he was smarter. He knew it was just fabric and plastic. Again, sort of sad because he held up his dad as a hero and an idol. And now he's realizing it was just a prop. It didn't mean anything to anyone, which, again, not totally true. Wrestling, it means something. The DWL means something to people in Duffy, certainly. But this shows the growth in Ace, I think. And and then the subsequent scene really might be the kicker for me when we see Ace and Thomas fighting, wrestling, right? Because I think we saw in one of the flashbacks in season one that Jack and Ace were sort of wrestling as kids and Tom stepped in and and says, you know, don't touch him. Right. And Ace is like, he wasn't hurting me. You know, we're just having fun here. But Tom wouldn't let them do that. They wouldn't he wouldn't let them roughhouse because he had this great dream for Ace and he's going to be the star quarterback. And here Thomas is kind of getting the childhood that Ace couldn't have, right? So again, it's like maybe he's he's stepping back from the brink of repeating the mistakes that his dad did and the sins of the father won't be visited on the son here. Maybe he can actually be a good uncle and role model, right? Yeah, so well, that's role, role is the key word there because I think what we see, and we see yeah. this with his, uh, potentially with the, is the rebirth of his character is that when you're in a different role, you get to be a different person. And Ace... Yeah. It, they're in a really confined, Ace lives in a really confined space, right? I mean, he's he's in a small town that where everybody knows him and everybody knows his, his family and everything else. He plays the kid brother almost exclusively. And when he's put in the position of having to be an authority figure, he sort of flourishes in it, you know? I mean, and and yeah. I think that was, you know, watching him adjust to, to, to being with Thomas sort of on the fly. And in some sense being, you know, his kind of the purest vision of what, you know, a a good parental figure should be for him, wrestling with him in the backyard, smiling, watching him, you know, I mean, that's, it's a role that he can play that no one else is playing. Yeah. And maybe that's what convinces him to get back in the ring because he just reconnects with the the childlike joy joy of it. Right. And, you know, I guess Jack did suggest that, that Stacey let, uh, Ace take care of Thomas for a while. So I guess you could say Jack's still pulling the strings Definitely and pulling the string. orchestrating things right from behind the curtain. But still, Ace is like, oh yeah, this is why I But like this. every great wrestling, like every great wrestling promoter, writer, whatever, it's what happens in the ring, right? You can put it all on paper, but the magic happens separate from that. And I think right. that Jack's, Jack's always going to be pulling the strings. Whether or not it works out, whether yeah. or not the fans pop for it is a totally different question. And maybe here it's not manipulative. It's just uh, reminding Ace of why he loves this and wants to do this. And maybe he gets to play the character he wants to play this time. I did think, though, when we see that scene of, of Ace going into the empty dome and he's practicing his falls and, and then he's he's posing on the ropes, right, for the cheers. Like you can hear the the silent imaginary cheers echoing in his head. He still wants that adulation. And that just reminds me of the bill speech and the dying on the hill and everything right and and still trying to to make it because ace has been trying to escape he tried to drive away 
And then the nightmare called him back and he says it in this episode, you know, I didn't get very far. And then he says, like, I have to find my own way because, you know, my dad wanted something for me and then Jack wanted something for me. And yet by the end of the episode, he's back in the ring again. And maybe Jack had a hand in that. Jack, so. I assume Jack had a hand in the rigging and whatever else went into that appearance. Yeah, had to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This was actually maybe one of the only times maybe it was the first time where we were more in the dark than the characters mm-hmm. were, you know, because because often there will be like just a, an ad lib and audible at the end of these matches. Obviously, if, you know, Crystal just suddenly seizes the belt or whatever, but no one knew that was coming. No, and we as Usually viewers didn't know. No, normally we would know. You're right. I mean, th- right. But but no, yeah, no one knows. But this was obviously a scripted thing yes. that Ace was going to enter like this and, and everyone had to be Jack in on was, it. Jack was playing a sort of mysterious role throughout the entire event and it didn't take up much of the show, but we <laughs> saw him sort of like talking to Willie in silence in the back and there were a couple of, you know, we there was a lot right. of ambiguity there. So yeah, I think that was that was the point, and I appreciate it. I also appreciated um, if I can just go ahead and announce my uh, announce my gimmick of the week, the, th- the little thing that I appreciate. There were a lot of little things that I appreciated, but I really appreciated the announcers when Ace came to the ring and Mysterious. They just said, "Is that Jack Spade in a trench coat?" Because I hate it when the wrestler <laughs> when the announcers are just like, "I don't know what's going on." You're like, "There's only like eight people that could be, and it really could only be one <laughs> right. or two. So say one of the names out loud. This is probably not, yeah, you know." Just like a guy from a guy we've never seen or, you know, what it just just a, this is not like President Obama coming it's down sting. in the trench coat. Yeah, it's sting. It's really sting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's keep right. rolling on this, though. Um, uh, holy shit moment. My holy shit moment was the scene with Ace Wrestling Thomas. It's a minor thing. There's very little holy or shit involved. I guess more holy than shit. Yeah. Uh, but just seeing mm-hmm. them go at it. it, it it's a it's a small thing that's a big thing, but just seeing that and seeing Ace sort of find locate that joy to me was was a moment that brought that did the most for me. Um, although there are a lot of those yeah. a lot of big moments in this episode. Yeah, I, I guess I'd go with the climax for my holy shit mm-hmm. moment, just because you know the seeds were there, they laid the groundwork. I, I didn't feel like this was uh, you know that they came up with this out of nowhere, but. Also, as we said, you know, usually we're not in the dark to the extent that we were about what's actually going to happen at the end of one of these matches. So that definitely did make me sit up and say, well, okay, Ace is back. But I guess my gimmick of the week also probably Ace related, just a lot of humor in this episode, as there always is. But I think it's particularly important in these episodes where things can get pretty heavy and the emotions can get pretty raw that they do still find these moments of levity. So, you know, whether it's with uh, Ricky Rabies foaming at the mouth oh, or, or bringing, so out, <laughs> bringing out his, uh, his wrestler who has a Olivia Newton-John oh. <laughs> gimmick and, uh, you know, that tells him, like, bring back the Dracula idea. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was so great. good. Just lots of little moments like that. Yeah, or like, the fireworks malfunctioning during Jack's offsite promo at the tank, or I think one of my favorites probably was, you know, I, I wondered last week how it was going to go with Jack and Stacy getting back together and rekindling their relationship while Ace is underfoot, essentially. And <laughs> here we have him making noise in the garage while they are making noise in their bedroom, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's very awkward. And then we get a glimpse of Ace's living situation and his garage decor here. <laughs> He's got like kind of an elegant rug under a, a pull-out couch sort of situation mm-hmm. with a TV just balanced on a shelf with some firewood. And then he has his clothes hanging folded next to three shovels on the wall. I just, I love the the interior decoration. I'm not, of, how long, uh, I'm not sure how long he was supposed garage. to have been there at that point. Um, 
Not long, I think. But yeah, right? I mean, I kind Not of expected long. night uh, yeah. one, maybe he gets the couch or even Thomas's bed or something, you know, and they figure out the, the garage mm-hmm. situation after a week. But uh, he, he made himself at yeah. home and well, maybe yeah. not. But <laughs> no, but just so much to like it. And, and Diego becoming kind of the podcast valet for Bill. And then I love Rooster's line to Jack after he leaves after cutting the promo. And he just says word for oh. word, you know, as in, hey, you should have given me words like this before. But I, I did just want to ask you, like, how big a deal is it in the wrestling world that CM Punk is is a series regular at this point, basically, and that AJ Mendes just comes in here like when we need an, an authentic looking wrestler, you get like two of the biggest names in the business, right? I mean, are people talking about a little this? bit? Like, I mean, Punk's making noise, you know, making news uh, with uh, separate from the show, pretty on pretty much on the regular. There's always some rumors going around about his backstage relationships and and how much how many people are mad at him in real life and everything. So he, he's he's bigger than this. It is yeah. kind of great to watch him. It's great to watch when he was in a tag team match with Wild Bill. Uh, in the main event, and he was mirroring Wild Bill's strut on the outside as his partner. Mm-hmm. That was another moment of just sort of like unbridled joy that <laughs> can only exist in I know, wrestling. Yeah, I love that, right? Because there's this, that that moment where you see like Bill's when he's in the ring. Yeah, he's playing a part, but also he's really like lost himself in that part in a way that is not necessarily pitiable. Like it, there's something really sweet about that. Like he is just giving himself over to the character and just feeling the spirit of wrestling move him. And you can just see like, you know, sometimes he's crapping his pants, obviously, but sometimes, you know, he's really, he's living it up. He's enjoying it, even though he's still like tilting at this windmill of, of trying to get back to the big time. I think Punk has said that doing the show kind of brought him, brought back his love for wrestling and got him inspired to get back in the ring. Um, so it's important uh, for that reason, if for nothing else. I mean, and and I think that hopefully wrestling fans will be paying more attention as the season goes on because the wrestling is great. And yeah, you get to see CM Punk and Amel and all those other guys just go out there and wrestle. So that's that's really fun. Oh, yeah. A- another runner up that you didn't mention for the gimmick was Gully ending his conversation with Jack by saying his daughter just received an <laughs> academic scholarship from Notre Dame and so he's taking her out for sushi and she has to go out for sushi and then what does he say? That's something my parents never said and just sort of disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. It shows, that, I mean, that's, you know, Gully is the is the mirror, the kind of the funhouse mirror version of Jack and the whole Duffy crew in so many ways, but that's also sort of the funhouse mirror version of their financial hardships and wild bills and every, you know, all the people that he encounters too. He's like, yeah, you can, you know, make a, nice upper middle class lifestyle out of this if you do it right or do it wrong mm-hmm. do right. it in the most crass way possible <laughs> yeah hashtag girl dad yeah exactly Good job gully but but yeah last thing i i guess i wanted to ask you you mentioned our little gimmick on on our first episode this season about the card and who ranked where now that we're halfway through the season has anyone moved up or moved down for you because uh, as you mentioned just not a ton of movement the cast kind of is who it is mostly week to week obviously it's it's the spade show and others are in their orbit and some more prominent than others but now that we've seen half of season 2 anyone deserve to be elevated or demoted in your yeah, mind yeah i'm looking at the list right the now i mean i think this. that you could make the case for stacy dropping out of the main event even though we've seen a lot of her. Yeah. I think she's probably still there, but, uh, you know, borderline. But but the rest are all climbers, right? I mean, Charlie Gully is is uh, not in the main event yet, but will probably be there by season's end. But while Bill is, you you put him in the main event, I believe, when we started the season. And he's, he's yeah. I had him in the mid-card. He's definitely a main eventer now. Rooster's working his way up. 
Uh, Diego mm-hmm. is, I had him as a jobber. Now he's, he's certainly upper mid card. Um, yeah. and if mm-hmm. there's anybody else, I mean, you know, I'd say Rooster, did I already say Rooster? Rooster, you know, at the, could conceivably be a main eventer by season's end. We'll, we'll see about that. Everybody sort of worked their way up. Uh, if, if anybody, yeah. if anybody's dropped from my list at the beginning of the show, it, it might be, and this is, might be unfair after i mean because of the weight it's the ghost of tom spade i feel like their dad is sort of <laughs> faded in the background over the last three episodes to the point where he's yeah. not he's not a going concern as much anymore i guess he's now just sort of part of the narrative part of the dialogue unless a character in the show right yeah maybe they've they put him to rest he could stop uh, wandering and, and haunting ace's dreams so i'm sure we'll see him again at some point but yeah it does seem like they've come to terms with his death a little bit and yeah it was always an ensemble show but maybe it's been even more of an ensemble show where you have you know non-jack and ace characters who are actually taking up large parts of these episodes partly because Ace hasn't been wrestling and, you know, Jack's been running around doing a thousand things as he always is. And Ace was out in the wilderness stranded. Well, right? no, but so I don't think I don't think it's nothing. Have... I mean, because we've had a hard time kind of naming the MVP, naming the, the MVP of yeah. every episode, naming naming the the main eventers. Yeah. So it's it's been tough because they've really been sharing the load, you know, and I and I think that mm-hmm. it's that's that's really a great statement about the show. So the show's testament. Yeah. Or a testament to the show. Yeah. I was going to say, Stacy probably the only one who's taken a step down. And it seems like because, you know, she's reconciled with Jack now and, and seems to be fully on board with the DWL. As she said, there were times where she wouldn't have been happy if it had gone under. But now she's supporting it pretty wholeheartedly, if only because her financial you know, future and that of her family is, is tied to its success. But also she's, you know, making drink runs and running errands and yeah. everything. And and so it, it seems like there's there's a little less to her story that is independent of Jack and the DWL now that she has gotten back together with him and has come to terms with with wrestling and the part that it plays in her family's life. I mean, we're not hearing much about her budding singing career, right? I mean, I I wish her well, but uh, that has sort of taken a a backseat this season. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, listen, the people that give themselves over to wrestling, even in little ways like helping with the the beer delivery, it's casting a different light after this episode. And like I said, this is a this is a this episode in particular was about the damage that pro wrestling can do to you. And at the end, we see Ace looking at the pro wrestling world as a cure for what's wrong with him. And so it, whether that's a, a fool's errand or whether he just has the balls and, and you know, while Bill speak to 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 kind of take hold of that, um, I guess remains mm-hmm. to be seen. Um, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Is there anything we need to say spinning forward or is that a good place to drop it? No, I, th- I think we covered it. You know, we said last week that there'd have to be some in-ring action this week because we went without last time, and there was. And we also got some some cryptic storylines and some intrigue and also some heavy heart-to-heart. So this is a lot of what I like about this show, really distilled into a, a single episode. Uh, it was a really, really good episode. I highly enjoy it. Uh, Jesse, as your first time watching live along with us, uh, well, well, how, how'd you feel? 
I'm excited that now we have kind of a clearer picture of where this rest of the season is going to go. I felt like after the first two episodes, it was it was like a close of like a mini arc within the season. So now I'm excited to see the rest of the show is going to be. I'm assuming it's all going to lead up to the cross promotion show. So I'm excited to see the rest of that card uh, get set and see who other random wrestlers that we don't know are going to show up. Yeah, that'll be the big question. That that one shot of the DWL roster where like we know five or six of the people, they're core characters, and then they're just two randos (laughs) just in the shadows. It's like, who are you? You know, I mean, they have to fill out the roster. But every time we see one of those people, just because we get such a a close up firsthand look of everyone seemingly involved in the DWL. And then all of a sudden, there's just someone we've never really seen or noticed before. It's like, who's that guy? But you got to fill out the cast of Heel Season 5. They're just getting ready for their (laughs) (laughs) close-ups. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Thank you guys for doing this. Thank you for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Ben Lindbergh, to our producer, Jesse Lopez. And thanks to everybody out there. We will see you back here next Friday night for the next episode of Heels. Until then, see you later, humanoids.